Well, good morning and welcome to Grace Toronto. My name is Kingsley. I'm one of the ministry directors here at the church. Welcome. Uh, if you're investing in the faith, welcome as well. Um, today is uh, our Children's Sunday. Happy Children's Sunday to the children in the room. And uh, for, for, for those of you who were here for Graham's introduction, he had mentioned that the songs that we sang and the liturgy, uh, the, the, the way we move through service was catered towards the children. Unfortunately, our pastoral staff didn't quite get the memo. And so our sermon, well, it's a lament. Uh, it's, 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 it's a lament, nothing very joyous. But I can assure you of this, our sermon doesn't end on a low note. The psalm doesn't end on a low note. In fact, it ends high in the sky with hope and confidence. It ends with Asaf singing praises to God and finding new confidence in God. And so uh, with that in mind, I think it still fits, it's still appropriate, and uh, I, I wanna invite you to join me with the reading of God's word. It's found in your bulletins. At the back panel, you will see Psalm 77, and I invite Oliver to read for us. Our reading today is from Psalm 77. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spring forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O oh God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the psalm. And we thank you for what you will teach us in this psalm. We pray that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing to you, O Lord. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have you ever had a sad song come on the radio and you found yourself strangely moved by it? What was that song? What was that song for you? One of the songs that recently wrecked the world was Adele's Easy On Me, released October 15, 2021. And many of us listeners, full-grown men and women, myself included, found ourselves weeping as the British songbird of sorrow sang about her broken marriage and the devastation that followed, pleading for both empathy and understanding. And one verse she sang painfully, I know there's hope in these waters, but I can't bring myself to swim. Expressing not only her grief in life, but giving words for us to express ours also. It didn't matter whether our circumstances were the same, and it didn't matter what it was that came to mind when we sang along with her. What mattered was that her words spoke to our hearts. And it reminded us that we weren't alone in our grief. This is one of the wonderful things about today's songs of sorrow. They're quite powerful as they help us begin to make sense of the life's dissonant chord progressions and give us outlets to express our rawest grief. But here's the thing. That's all these songs do for us. Empowered to articulate our deepest pain, we're left powerless to process our pain, fully process our pain, by the time the music fades. How do we know this? We know this because when the last note drops, little will have changed in our circumstances. Powerful enough to express our griefs and help us express our grief, they're not powerful enough to completely carry us through our grief. Asaph, in Psalm 77, though, gives us hope. He gives us hope today because he reminds us that there's another song we can sing, another type of song we can sing. It's a song that is able to powerfully help us express our grief and also drive us to the one who can carry us through our grief. Asaph helps us rediscover the lost language of lament. A lament a language that we desperately need today. Uh, You might wonder, uh, another lament? Why why are we covering another lament? Didn't we talk about a lament last week? Why why another one today? Not to be the bearer of bad news, but we're actually going to be in laments over the next several weeks. Uh, The the reason why we want to do a series on laments is because the language, like any language, takes time for us to learn. And for us to learn any language, we need repetition. And so we're going to practice, and we're going to listen to the biblical laments over and over again for a couple of weeks so that we might learn this language well in our hour of need. There will come a time in your life when you will need this language. For some of you today, you need it now. For others, well, it's only a matter of time. The minored key songs in Scripture are God's gift to us as we're taught how to cry to God, complain to God, and even find confidence in God when life gets hard. And Psalm 77 specifically is very unique because it comprises these three classic movements. Not all Psalms have these three movements, but this one does. The cry, complaint, and finding confidence in God. These will be our three points today. Let's look at the first point, crying to God. If you look with me to verses one to three in your bulletins, we'll see Asaph's cry. Look with me here. He says, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. 
In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul, he says, my soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Selah. Selah is a technical term in Hebrew meaning pause. We're going to pause here. In this psalm, when we look at the cry, Asaf doesn't tell us exactly why he's grieving, but he does tell us how he's feeling. And more importantly, he tells us where to go with our grief. Arms stretched out, eyes turned toward God, Asaf cries, groans, and moans to the point of feeling faint. To God, he says, aloud to God, I cry. Where does he go? He goes to God. You might ask, why? Why is it important? Why should we go to God when disillusioned by distressing grief? Well, if Adele's song is any help, she gives us a glimpse and insights into why we need to go to God. She said, remember, I know there's hope in these waters, but I can't bring myself to swim. Why is it important to go to God? Because there will come a time in our lives when things don't go according to plan. And drowning in grief, hoping for hope, we'll need the help of someone who can help us swim, someone who can help us stand. We'll need God. Many of us might turn to our friends, family, therapists, and counselors in grief, and I'm not saying they're not good and they're not good supports, they are helpful, but at the end of the day, our best human supports do not replace God. Like our songs of sorrows, our best human helps are limited in their ability to help. How do I know this? Friends, family, they burn out. Therapists, counselors, they'll only see us if our schedule permits it, if their schedule permits it, excuse me. We need someone who will be there for us anytime, anywhere. We need someone like God. Asaf, in his cry, in verses 1 to 3, teaches us who to cry to in our laments. He teaches us to cry to God. Now, as we keep reading, we'll also see how to cry to God, how to cry to God in our laments. Uh, The words cry aloud and moan in verses 1 to 3 are striking as commentators pause at Asaf's rawness and his choice of words. When Asaf cries to God, he doesn't simply whimper before God. No, he wails before God. The Hebrew, the the form that he writes this word cry is in its most intense form. It's a wail before God. His moan isn't a silent groan or hum, but a turbulent shriek before God. He says, ah, God, I need you. To the Lord, he cries. He's unpolished. He's inarticulate. And this is important for us to see. Asaf doesn't go to God after he's processed everything. No, he goes to God to begin the process of processing things. Why is this important for us? Far too many of us think we need to fully process our deepest pains before we can talk to God. And Asaf says no. Unfettered frustrations, scorching anger, shrilling sorrow, gross disappointment. You can go to God with all these things, even if you don't have the words to express it. And so, I encourage you, pull the plug from the drain of your heavy heart and give the Lord 
your grief, cry to him. Give him your tears, cry to him. Some of you are grieving because you lost a loved one. Some of you are grieving because you have declining health. I know some of us are grieving because of our financial situation. I've talked to many of you this week who are grieving your singleness. Some of you are grieving your complicated marriages. Some of you parents are grieved because of your kids. And still, some of you are grieved because you wish you could have kids. Wherever you are, whatever it is, Asaf wants you to see that it's okay to cry to God. You might not have the words to articulate your pain, and that's okay. You don't need words to cry. You just need to cry. If you're sitting here and you know someone who's grieving, I want you to consider what Psalm 77 teaches us about helping others grieve and lament. Because studies have shown that most of us, most people feel uncomfortable with grief. In fact, most people tend to withdraw from those who are grieving. And Psalm 77 helps us because it models for us how we can help the grieving in their hour of need. Uh, One of the unique aspects of the laments are their communal context. They're not just personal songs of sorrow, they're actually corporate ones. And as we sing these songs with others, we're taught to see that it's okay for our friends just to cry to God with unpolished tears of grief. I I have a four-year-old nephew who can get upset sometimes, and there's no talking him down. You can tell him to stop, but trying to only makes things worse. What do you think is the only way to help this young man? We open up our arms, and we ask him, Would you like a hug while you cried out? It's okay to cry. Would you like a hug? Typically, in cute fashion, he'll come in for a hug and he'll cry it out. Only then are we able to talk to him. And only then are we able to begin the process of reasoning with him. And for many of us adults, like the four-year-old kid, when grief comes, What we need isn't someone to tell us to stop crying or to look at things from a better perspective. What we need is someone to come to us with arms open and say, it's okay to cry. And so church, Grace Toronto, if you know someone who is grieving, could I encourage you to help this person cry to God, open your arms wide to them, and help them see that God is eager to meet with them in their pain. Bring them to God, help them cry to God. This is our first point. Our second point is complaining to God. We see Asaph's complaint in verses four to nine. Look with me here to verses four to nine. He says, you hold, you hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. In other words, I don't know what to say to you. I consider the days of old, the years long ago, I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? He asks, has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in his anger shut up his compassion? What's he doing here? He's modeling for us how to grumble with godliness, how to complain as Christians, how to articulate our deepest disappointments to God and looking to the lessons he learned as a young man 
And the songs he sang as a kid, much like our children sang today, Asaf says to God, nothing makes sense. God, you're supposed to be a gracious, slow to anger God, but it doesn't look like it. I was taught as a kid in my songs to sing that, but it doesn't seem that way. God, your steadfast love is supposed to never cease. God, your promises are supposed to be everlasting. You're supposed to be gracious. You're supposed to be kind. But none of that seems to make sense right now. None of that seems true right now. These are his questions he has to ask God. And I wonder if you've ever felt this way before. Some have wondered if Asaf actually believes that God has rejected him or if God has stopped loving him. We've read the entire psalm, and we know how the psalm ends, and so I think it gives us a little bit of a glimpse into what's going on here. I don't think Asaf actually believes God has abandoned him, but rather he's saying, it feels a lot like it. And he's teaching us how to articulate that. This is important because how many of us feel this way when we're facing God in our grief? We look at our circumstances, we look at what we read and hear about God in the Bible and in the songs, and all that strikes us is dissonance. What Asaf is doing here is giving us a pattern for how we can bring this confusion to God, how we can complain. What would this look like in today's language? I've learned a lot about what this would look like from actually many of you in the church. This isn't my voice, but these are the voices of some of the folks in our church who have gone through grief. And I want you to listen to how they've grieved. For one couple facing the grief of losing their child prematurely, I've sat across this couple as they prayed and said, God, I know you're not mean, but it feels a lot like it. Another individual faced with the constraints of financial hardship complaining to God, said, God, I know you haven't abandoned me, but it seems a lot like it. Still, for a young man who's struggling with mental health and crippling loneliness, I've seen you pray, God, I know you aren't doing this to get back at me, but it looks a lot like it. What is this language? This is the language of lament. Christian complaining. It affirms what you know to be true of God, but isn't afraid to confess that you're finding it hard to believe it right now. And this is different from Israel's grumbling, which we see in Exodus and Numbers, other books in the Bible. In those cases, despite knowing that God was good and gracious, Israel said in their godly grief, God, you're evil. God, you're mean and cruel. God, you took us out of Egypt only to destroy us in the desert. Christian complaining isn't that. Rather, it would say, I know you're gracious, and I know you're good, but I'm finding it really hard to believe it right now. God, help my disbelief. As we reflect on Asaf's complaint, some of you resonate with what I'm saying. You harmonize with Asaf's complaint. But some of you also sit here silently ashamed because you were misled into believing that faith doesn't think this way, that faith doesn't talk this way to God. Let me ask you, what's Psalm 77 showing you here today? He's showing you that the man or woman of faith can still feel this way, 
And it's even okay to talk to God this way. Because part of trusting God is complaining to God when life doesn't make sense. Grace Darnell, can I encourage you to shed the shame and come to God with your honest complaints? Because God is eager to meet with you as you are. Some of you, others of you, in this room may be bitter and angry. So angry at God that you're resolved to give him the silent treatment. If this is you, can I ask you a question, an honest question? How are we doing? How are we doing? Has giving God the silent treatment been healing and helpful? The reason why I ask this is because in my own experience is giving God the silent treatment tends to be more harmful than helpful. A couple of weeks ago, I found myself giving God the silent treatment after something I felt was unfair happened. And disappointed and spiraling, I I laid in bed bitter and unable to sleep. And seeing that I was still up at 3 a.m. in the morning, my wife Hannah gently asked me if I wanted to pray. You know what I said to her? I said, no, not really. I know that's not the response you expect from your preacher, but that's grief. And thankfully, I have a gracious wife, a patient wife, a wife who didn't turn to the other side and pull the blankets over her head and leave me in my own grief, but a wife who pressed me to talk to God. And I did. Confessing my confusion and complaining to God, you know what happened? My shoulders felt lighter and my heart began to experience peace. And uniquely, I was able to begin the process of healing. If you're angry with God, can I encourage you to talk about it with him? Tell him you're angry, tell him why you're upset because he wants to meet with you in your grief. If this example isn't helpful, look at your own relationships. When you give someone the silent treatment, are you able to begin the process of healing? No, we feel worse. And so with God, just like our friends, go to him, give him your complaint. Now, how can we as a community help the grieving complain well? I think Asaf gives us a good example in his complaint, uh, voicing his doubts in verses 7 to 9, and Asaf encourages the people to, to bear with the uncomfortable questions and even accusations of those in grief. How many of you read these questions in verses 7 to 9 and felt a little uncomfortable? How many of you have sat across someone with grief and as you listened to their complaints felt uneasy? Far too many of us, I find, tend to quickly correct people for some of the seemingly wrong things they have to say to God in their grief. Others of us try to move people through the complaint stage too soon by not giving them the space to communicate their pains. Asaf here is showing us that it's okay. God can handle these complaints. And it's okay for us to help people complain to God. God is inviting you, church, to help and to carry those who are grieving to God, to complain to God, so that they can begin the process of healing. And so, we've talked about crying to God, we've talked about complaining to God, let's look at our last point, finding confidence in God, confidence in God. 
Confidence is how most laments end. Uh, this isn't always the case. There are a few exceptions in the Bible. Uh, we'll learn about one later called Psalm 88, and we'll, we'll understand why eventually the Bible includes such cases. But in most cases, though, the turn towards confidence is important, and it's marked by a small word. Uh, the word is then, or but. We, we see then in verse 10. Then I said, I will appeal to this. Then I said, he said, To the years of the right hand of the Most High, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your works and meditate on your mighty deeds. Have you experienced this before? After crying and complaining about something, maybe to a friend or a counselor, all of a sudden you're emotionally, emotionally ready to move forward and to look at life with new perspective. For us off, having cried to God and complained to God, He's now ready to look at life with new perspective. It's crazy how clinical laments are. How do you think Asaf finds new perspective, though? What does he do? Look with me here to the text in verse 11. He says, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your works and meditate on your mighty deeds. What does he do? He looks back. He looks back to God's past acts of deliverance for comfort and renewed confidence. More specifically, he looks back to the greatest act in Israel's history, the Exodus. Read with me here in verse 16. With vivid language, he writes, When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. The clouds poured out water, the skies gave forth thunder, your arrows flashed on every side, the crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind, your lightnings lighted up the world, the earth trembled and shook, your way, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Asaph looks back and remembers God's supernatural work of saving Israel from slavery. Remembering the past, looking back, Asaph found new confidence for his present. In his own words, he says in verse 13, God, your way is holy. God, who is like you? Derek Kidner, an Old Testament scholar, helpfully explains this phrase because it's a little confusing. What does he mean by God is holy? He says, looking back, Asaph saw that God was fearful as a foe, but glorious as a friend. He saw divine perfections of God in place here. And he saw God as a perfect friend. And a friend God was to him because of God as a friend didn't, didn't, didn't ignore his people in the past, didn't uh, leave his people in the past. He wouldn't leave them in the future. Looking to the past, Asaf was able to find new confidence in God. For many of us today, I think we would benefit if we looked at life this way. And so let me help us do that. In your past, how has God shown up and helped you in your hour of need? How has he shown himself to be a faithful friend to you? Verse 20 says that God's footprints were unseen as he led Israel through the desert and he led them through the waters of the Red Sea. So what are some of the invisible ways that God showed up for you? Did he use circumstance to provide for you? Did he use people? Our past is a powerful place to look 
if we're hoping to find renewed confidence in God. And look, I get it. If you're struggling to to look in your own immediate past to see something, I want to encourage you, there's something you can look further back to. It's an event that goes even further back than your lifetime here on this earth. And it's an event that will fill your soul with unparalleled, unrivaled confidence. It's the event that dwarfs Israel's exodus and trumps all other events. Do you know what that event is? It's the event of God sending his one and only son to live, die, and rise for you. Leading us in exodus from our slavery to sin Jesus made visible the invisible footprints of God, stamping God's footprint into the sandy seas of Galilee and leaving a bloody trail of footprints on the dusty roads of Calvary. Jesus showed us once and for all that God is our ever true faithful friend for eternity. Living the life that we could not live and dying the death we should die, Jesus died so that we might rise with him with new confidence as we face this new life. God didn't leave us then. What makes you think he will leave us now? Looking back, Asaf found renewed confidence in God. Looking back, we can too. Now, still, Even looking back, I understand that sometimes this is still hard for us to find confidence in because grief can put heavy blinders on us. And here's one I wanna appeal to the, the communal aspects of laments once again. If you're struggling with grief and you're struggling to see how God has been faithful in your life, can I encourage you to lean on your good friends for help? Ask your friends in the church, where have you seen God working in my life? Help me, because I'm having trouble seeing God's invisible footprints. And I need God's help here. If you know someone that's struggling with this, can I encourage you to just go ahead and lean in. Help them. Show them the evidences of God's grace in their life. Speak to them these gospel truths though it may not seem so. God has always promised to be with us. And we, as a community, have the opportunity to not only help one another cry to God, complain to God, but also find confidence in God as we look for his footprints together. If you're exploring Christianity or investigating faith, I want to ask you a question. What God of all the world religions invites you to come to him with grief like this. What God of all the world religions offers his own son to show you how much he loves you? It's only the God of the Bible, and it's only Jesus Christ. And so, can I invite you to turn to God, and in your hour of grief, cry to him, complain to him, and let your soul find new confidence in him. As we conclude, I said the language of lament is God's gift to us. Why? Because they empower us to voice our rawest grief while moving us towards the one who can carry our grief. Laments like Psalm 77 teach us not only to cry to God and to complain to God, but also to find new confidence in God. 
My prayer is that this would serve us well on the day we need it. Amen. Amen. At this time, we have a few minutes for Q&A. And uh, so if you would like, you can text the phone here, and I will do my best to answer some of these questions. Uh, The first question here uh, talks about, hi, Lee Mark. Okay, I'm not Lee Mark, so I'm assuming that's not for me. Um, (laughs) Okay. Um, How do you help a friend grieve if your friendship is long distance and you're not able to be physically present? That's a great question. How do you help your friend grieve if your friendship is long distance and you're not able to be physically present? This is where creativity comes into play. And I I, I, I actually have uh, a couple of friends uh, model this well for me. Uh, In in one instance, uh, a brother had lost a, a loved one and uh, wanting to travel but not being able to because of COVID, uh, the brother had to think of unique ways to try to to extend a physical hand to his hurting friend. And what they did was actually, uh, they got creative. Uh, What they did was they they video called the person. Uh, They also uh, had local friends that they know uh, presently show up as well. And they intervened and came around that person together and uh, the, the one who was grieving found out from the brother that he had organized it. And doing what they could, uh, they, 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 they've made the best with the situation, and I encourage you to get creative at times. If you know someone who is grieving and you can't physically be with them, call them, video chat them. It might not feel like much, but it does go a long way. And if you know friends local to them, encourage them to reach out to those friends, to be your hands and feet. And I encourage you first, talk to the person, ask them if it's okay, because you want to honor them in their grief. Not everybody wants it to be public. But if they're okay with that, I encourage you to encourage those friends, knowing that they have a tendency to withdraw, to lean in in those moments. If your friend also doesn't go to a church, I encourage you to invite them to find a church in their local area that they can explore and talk to a pastor there or talk to one of the staff there and make new friends who can walk with them in their pain. The question, next question is, oh, this one's a long one. All right. Uh, What happens when you go to God and lament and are left unsatisfied, unfulfilled, and feeling that he will never understand the situation and pain no matter how many times you go to him? Because at the end of the day, he is a spirit who does not live in this world as a human born with a sinful nature. And while Jesus, as his son and representative on earth, has been here, still did not live out every situation, such as dealing with the strains of marriage, since Jesus was never married. So how would he know? Well, that's a very good question. The, 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 the unique thing here that we need to understand here is that Jesus is not just fully God, but he's also fully human. And so, though he might not have been married And though he might not have experienced the pain of being physically married, he's still God. And he has all wisdom, all understanding. And so in one way, he understands and he can see how you're in pain. But also in another way, he actually does know what it's like to be neglected by his wife. Because Jesus, though he was not physically married to a woman on this earth, he does have a bride. All of you. All of us, from the beginning of history till now and until the future. And as the bride of Christ, we have rejected him, we have neglected him, we have cheated on him, 
If you read all of the Old Testament, God talks about how Israel has cheated on him over and over and over again, going after other gods. Read the book of Hosea. It's painful. God knows what it's like to be in a broken marriage. God knows how to lean in. And so I don't agree with you, actually, respectfully. I don't agree with you to say that Jesus doesn't understand because Hebrews chapter 4 says that he who knew no sin, well, we have a high priest. We have a high priest who can sympathize with us because he was made like us in every way. And so I want to contend to you to consider and reflect on this question. Is that really the case? Or maybe does it just feel like God can't relate? If that's the case, can I encourage you? Cry to God. Complain to God. Let him know that, God, this doesn't seem right. It doesn't make sense, and I don't understand. Help me. Help me. Looking at time, uh, I think we have quite time for one more question, so I will look at this last one here. What kinds of things can we say gently uh, to those who are angry at God and feel bitter at God? Um, this is a, a, a great question. Uh, this was a question I actually I had to talk to Kiernan about. Uh, in, in my own sermon, the, the first draft when I wrote it, I was reading it, and as I was talking to, and I was hoping to talk to you who might be angry and bitter, I, I found my tone of voice to be a little hard, a little cold, a little un- impatient as well. And I think that's, uh, that's, that's, that's insight into our own natural human heart. We, we, we tend to respond to anger and bitterness with uh, zero tolerance. And Kiernan helped me here by helping me see that one of the best ways to help our friends is not to tell them and say to them, hey, you're angry, you're bitter, but to help them see it themselves. Ask them, what are you feeling right now? And I think that's the key, questions. Ask questions. Help the person diagnose their own heart. Uh, any good counselor, if you ever sat across from a counselor, I, I had to once, I, they never actually said anything to me. It was one of the, it's no offense to Brian, he's a great counselor, but it felt like kind of like a waste of money at times because he's just asking me questions. How do you feel? What are you feeling? Why do you feel that? What are you believing? What do you believe? And these were all helpful questions because without actually having to tell me that I was angry and bitter in my own child of origin issues, God used these questions to help me see why I was angry, why I was bitter, and it helped me go to God. And so I encourage you, if you know someone who is struggling with bitterness and angry, ask them questions, good questions. Like, why are you feeling this way? What are you feeling this way? What are you believing right now? What do you believe right now? These are all the times we have for questions. And so if you have, I know I saw a couple other here. Uh, My fingers are fat, and so I I really struggle typing on this thing. If you can copy and paste your question, email it to me at kingsley at gracetoronto.ca. It would make my life so much easier to be able to type it on a keyboard that fits my fingers. And uh, at this point, I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up and lead us in another song. And I'm going to pray for us as we transition to our next point of service. God, we thank you for this language that you've given us, this clinical language of lament. And God, I pray for those of us sitting here today who are lamenting, who are grieving, would you give us the freedom to be able to cry and complain to you and even find confidence in you. Lord, be patient with us. 
strive with us. And for those of us who will one day need this language, will you help us remember for that day? Help us to begin to learn the language and practice the language as we walk with those in our community who are grieving. We pray this in your most beautiful name. Amen.